Well, we began a brand new series last Sunday morning, and, and we're, we're now into the last quarter of this year. We've been rebuilding walls. First quarter, the wall of prayer. The second quarter, the wall of worship. The third quarter, the wall of evangelism. And now we're building the wall of discipleship. And uh, by the way, we've begun each quarter with a week of fasting. And so if you'd like to join us this week, we encourage you to just push your plate back and really focus in on prayer for God to help us as we rebuild a wall of discipleship and uh, as we move forward. And I began the series last Sunday morning, and so I'm just going to call this Rebuilding the Wall of Discipleship Part 2 because this is a continuation of last Sunday morning's message, and I'm going to jump right into it here. Before I give you my text, uh, let me define, there's a lot of, lot of definitions of discipleship, and um, really it, it boils down to the word disciple. Uh, it, you, you become a disciple, and then you expand on that as you, as you broaden your level, and as you also help bring other people in and help you helping to disciple them. That, that would be discipleship. But a disciple is one who receives instructions or simply a learner, someone who learns from another. Those men that traveled with Jesus when he was here on this earth for 33 and a half years, and three and a half of those years was in ministry, and those, those 12 men that followed him very carefully and listened to everything he was teaching, they were referred to as disciples because they were learning from the Lord Jesus. Now, it wasn't just a religious term in that day. It really referred to anybody who studied after another teacher. Galileo was a great teacher of that day, and, and uh, his pupils were known as disciples. So all of you teachers here, you could say that you've got a bunch of little disciples that, uh, that you're dealing with on a weekly basis in your teaching career. Because it's, it's, what it, it's what it means when you're, you're teaching or to become a disciple, you follow the teaching of someone else. You learn from that person by listening to them and um, observing their teaching. So let me give you my text, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, a more than one scripture today for my text. I want to take you first to John chapter 8. Verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And here's the bonus. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Back to that thing of learning, taking instructions. Jesus said, there are a lot of Jews that started following him early said so all of you that are following, if you continue in my words, in other words, if you're learning of me, then you're my disciples. And here's a bonus. If you're my disciples, you're going to know the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth's going to set you free. Um, disciples of Christ should be free. Amen? We, sh we should be the freest people in all the world, people who, who follow the teachings of the Lord Jesus. Now, I know you may uh, have the question in your mind that, that would say, well, preacher, how in the world can I be a, a disciple of Christ because Jesus is no longer on this earth uh, as, a, as a teacher for me to learn from? Well, he left us his teachings in this book. 
And in fact, the New Testament starts out with four books that give us the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, and, and again, he said, if you abide in my words, you're my disciples. So you can be as much a disciple as, of Jesus Christ as Simon Peter was, or Andrew, his brother was, or James or John, or any of those guys. Just stay in the word of God. Then I want to take you to 1 John, the first epistle of John, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Here's a definition of God, and we'll tie all this together in just a few minutes, but uh, a, a, a powerful verse of Scripture. I want you to leave that on the screen, if you will, that First John 4, 7, and 8. Now, how many of you believe it ought to be fun to come to church? You believe church ought to be fun? I think it ought to be the most fun place in the world. In fact, they have fun back in children's church. There, there, there are Sundays that I feel like slipping out and going to children's church. They have, they have fun back there. Uh, how many of you learned this, these two verses, Scripture, 1 John 4, 7, and 8, in VBS or children's church when you were a kid, and you learned it through the method of a little song? Any, any of you learned that as a song? Okay, I see two or three. Wow. We have more than that that knew it in the first service. So, forget that you're an adult for the next few minutes. Pretend that you're a child in children's church or vacation Bible school. You ready to have some fun? We're going to learn a little song. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. And knoweth God, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Now, no, 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 no. I, I, am, I am not a singer, but I want those two or three of you that do know it to, to go ahead and join me on this one. Those of you that are still learning it, listen another time or two. We're going to all sing it in a minute. One more time. You ready? Sing it with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. Now, we're going to have a choir this morning. So, have you got it? I want you to stand. Everybody just stand. We're just going to sing this little song together. You ready? And I want you to sing it out now. You're singing the Word of God. Amen. You ready? Let's sing. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. And knoweth God, he that loveth not, Knoweth not God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8 again. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. 
and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Give yourselves a hand. <clears throat> you may be seated. <laughs> I've only been up here five minutes, and you've already learned a verse of Scripture and a song. How about that? <laughs> it's fun to be in church, amen? But, but, but here's what the Apostle John is trying to tell us here. God is love. Now, a disciple is a follower of a teacher. And he becomes, not, not only does he learn from but he becomes the embodiment of those teachings and that teacher that he listens to. I'm going to drop down that of verses 16 and 17 in this same fourth chapter of 1 John and look at this. And we have known and believed the love that God had for us. God is love. There's the definition again. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, look at this last line. This is so important. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, that's what discipleship is all about, becoming like Jesus. And John said, for you and I that claim the name of Jesus, we should be living in this world just like Jesus lived in this world when he was here in the flesh. In fact, in the book of Acts, the Bible said that over at Antioch, the disciples of Christ were so much like Jesus that they started, they, they, it came off as a little slang word at first. It, it was, they were actually making fun of them at first, but it caught on. And, and it became an acceptable term. They called them Christians first in Antioch. That means when they saw one of them, they said, but you, you, you're acting like Jesus. That, that sounds like Jesus. Well, that's what we're supposed to be in this world. As disciples of the Lord Jesus, we're supposed to be like him. As he is, so are we in this world. Now, my message is not very long. I want to give you three things that we need to know um, if we're going to be good disciples, if we're going to know something about this discipleship thing. The first thing, we need to know who God is. And I just told you that. God is love. Amen? Now, I know that everybody didn't come up under the same kind of teaching. We all come from different backgrounds and everything. And some of you grew up a little bit like me. I grew up in a little bitty small church, and um, legalism was the rule of the day. And boy, they took this word of God, and they just beat you over the head with it. And, um, and I didn't know a whole lot about the love of God until I grew in the Lord and studied the word for myself and got to see who God really is. And John emphasized it twice in the verses I read to you this morning. God is love. 
And if we're to become like Jesus, we're supposed to, that love is supposed to emanate from us. People are supposed to sense the love of God in and through our lives. The second thing that we need to know is why Jesus came to this world. Why did God robe himself in human flesh and come and dwell among us? Why did he do that? Well, first of all, let me deal with a couple of misconceptions of that day, and some of it's carried on through the centuries and has reached all the way to us. Some people don't really understand what Jesus came and what, what the ministry of Jesus is all about. And, and a lot of it is because there are people who profess to be disciples or followers of Christ who give a bad impression and, and a wrong idea of what Christianity is all about. Here's one common misconception, and I want to correct that right now by telling you that Jesus did not come to destroy the law or the prophets. They, there's some people in that day said, oh, listen to Jesus teaching. All he's doing is trying to destroy Judaism. He's trying to destroy the law. He's trying to, you know, all that. And Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, look at this verse of Scripture. Do not think that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Um, Notice that word destroy because we're going to deal with it a lot in the next five or ten minutes here. Jesus said, you've got the wrong concept. I'm not here to destroy Judaism. I'm not here to destroy the law. I'm not here to destroy the prophets. That's not why I came. In fact, quite the opposite. I came to bring it to fulfillment. I'm here to fulfill what the prophets said about me. I'm here to bring you the new covenant that the old covenant pointed to. So let's do away with that misconception. There was another false teaching, and, and boy, this is becoming a political thing today of, of people who hate Christianity. They try to paint us as haters, and they try to paint us as prejudiced people, and they try to paint us as, as people that, that are trying to destroy this whole new liberal agenda that they're trying to take America into and make us more like Europe and and some of the socialistic countries. And it, that's not true at all. Uh, Jesus did not come to destroy lives. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. But do, do, do you see what Jesus is having to create? Even with his own followers, his own disciples, we, he had a couple, of, <laughs> a couple of his own disciples said, 
bless Pat, if you don't believe just like we do and receive us just like we want you to receive, we'll call fire down out of heaven. We'll destroy you. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Wait a minute here. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. And, and so Jesus didn't get offended because those people in that little village in Samaria didn't receive him. Everybody is not on the same page. I get so put out with people who profess to be Christians who are always looking for some other Christian just because they're a little bit different stripe or a different understanding or aren't at the same place that they are, and they just want to lambast them and speak out against them. Listen, folks, we're not here to fight each other. Amen? Boy, that was weak. We're not here to fight each other. <laughs> we're, we're here to fight the devil, and I'll deal with that in a little bit. We're, we're, Jesus said, that, that's not what I'm... Here's one that you know well. You can probably quote this one. It's from John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What did Jesus come to do? He came to save lives. He came to give you abundant life. He didn't come to destroy life. He didn't come to make your life miserable. That's a false teaching. That's error. That, that's, that's misconception. That just doesn't fit in. Here we have the contrast between the way God operates and the way Satan operates. It couldn't be more clear than Jesus made it right here in John 10, 10. He said, the thief, he's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's that word destroy again. Everything in Satan's kingdom is about destruction. He's out to destroy you. If you follow Satan, you're making a sad mistake because his goal is to destroy you. But if you'll follow Jesus, his goal is to give you life, not only life, but to give you eternal life. And until you get to the other side, he's here to give you abundant life. Glory to God. I don't know why everybody wouldn't want to love Jesus. Amen. He's worthy of our praise this morning. Now, let me, let me say this. We, we need, as Christians, we need to be real careful about how we throw these terms around of wrath and judgment. And don't, don't get me wrong. I understand that all that's in the Bible, but you don't take it out of context. I know people right now that are, that are preaching that all of this horrible weather that we've had with... Uh, with all these, Nate and Irma and uh, who was the one in Houston? Uh, yeah, that, that, that all these terrible hurricanes, that it's the judgment of God. I, I, I want to warn you folks, be, be careful about how you make those kind of radical statements. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus and his disciples were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and this horrendous storm came up, it was so vicious it almost capsized their boat and could have killed them all. 
Was that the judgment of God on Jesus and his disciples? I, I don't think so. Jesus rebuked that storm. That tells me that that storm was of the devil, not of God. Think about it a minute, folks. <laughs> these, these acts of destruction. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. So these acts of destruction are not from God. This is the acts of the devil. I, I got real amused a few years ago. This guy, he lost his house in a storm, and unfortunately he had it insured. But when, he, when they handed him the papers he had to fill out uh, to get his insurance to rebuild his house, he had to declare the reason for the loss of his house and, and the only block that they had for him to check was an act of God. He took his pen and marked through that and wrote an act of the devil. This, amen. This is not an act of God. This is an act of the devil. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy Jesus said, I did not come to destroy men's life. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the God that we serve. We'll deal with it a little more later on. But we know that he did not come to destroy the law and the prophet. He did not come to destroy men's lives. But he did come to make some destruction. But let's make sure we understand what he came to destroy. You ready for this? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. I'll give you scripture for it. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose. Say that with me. For this purpose. The Son of God was manifest that he might destroy, there's the word, destroy the works of the devil. Now, that's the only kind of destruction Jesus came for, destroy the works of the devil. He didn't come to destroy the Old Testament. He didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. He didn't come to bring destruction on men's lives. In fact, many times when they try to use the law to, to, to stone somebody, and they, you remember that woman they threw at Jesus' feet? It, it, boy, let's, let, let's, get a, let's get a handful of rocks here and kill this woman. She's sinned. And, and Jesus said, I, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't come to condemn and destroy. He come to bring life, to bring forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his love. It reaches to us. Thank God. If you want to find God in all these hurricanes and storms, then look around and listen for some testimonies of some people that have been able to come out of it by the grace and the goodness of God and watch them as they stand on God's word and God helps them rebuild their lives and go forward and God's going to give them eternal life and bless them more than anything they've ever lost. Praise God. That's the God that we serve. My third and final point. What is our purpose then as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to remember 1 John 3, 8. We read it a while ago in 1 John 4, 17, the, first, the uh, last part. 
remember it says for this purpose we just read it a moment ago for this purpose the son of god was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil and look at this because as he is so are we in this world in other words if we're going to be disciples of jesus we've got to look like jesus act like jesus i'm not talking about trying to dress like you think he dressed back then i'm talking about in your attitude in your appearance you need to look like a christian amen it bothers me when i see christians that you can't you can't tell them from the world i'm not i'm not advocating that we come under some kind of legalism and and uh, everybody wear you know shirts down to their sleeves and dresses down to their ankles and and all of that but but when they see us they ought to be able to tell that we're christians amen there ought to be we, we ought to look decent first of all we ought to dress decent and presentable and but and then there should be something in our appearance that there should be a smile on our face there should be some joy in our heart amen <laughs> We, 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 we just shouldn't look like the world, like we just weighted down and, and, and about to go under. We shouldn't look like we're miserable and, and the whole world's against it. Praise God. We belong to Jesus. We've learned from his teachings. He defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He ascended back to glory and is at the right hand of the Father. And we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Glory to God. So, quit fussing about each other and anybody that you disagree with and think for a moment about what Jesus came to destroy, the works of the devil. And what's the biggest work of the devil? Three letters. S-I-N. Sin, that's the problem. That's the problem, sin. Just plain old, that's it. That's just a problem. I know I hear folks say sometimes, boy, they don't preach against sin at the church anymore. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning because we're preaching against sin. And the reason we preach against sin and the reason Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil is because sin is a destructive force. He come to destroy the destroyer. (laughs) isn't that wonderful he came to destroy the destroyer praise god that's the purpose for which jesus came and so you and i need to as followers of jesus as we understand his word as we look at what he said and what he did we should take the same approach we should learn to love the lord so much that it causes us to hate sin And we should work to destroy the destroyer. There's three things I want you to remember about sin, and you've heard me use them before. In fact, I preached a whole sermon on them one time. It's not original with me, but I I like these phrases because they're kind of catchy, easy to remember, and kind of stay with you. Number one, sin will take you further than you want to go. Don't ever forget that. When you, when you fall to the deception of the devil, he will always take you further than where you wanted to go. I, I, I've never seen it fail. If you allow sin to take root in your life, it will always take you further than you want to go. That little, that little flirtatious moment in the office, you never intended for that to drag you all the way into an affair. 
But if you allow sin to take root in your life, it'll always take you further than you want to go. Secondly, it'll always keep you longer than you want to stay. If you follow sin, it'll get you out there. You you think, oh, oh, just this one time, just just this one moment. No, 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 no. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And then finally, sin will cost you more than you want to pay. The prodigal son never intended to land up in the hog pen, but he did. David never intended when he was lusting after Bathsheba to have destruction in his home and his family and war in his own household and a child die as a result of his sin. He, he, never, he never intended for that. It always costs you more than you want to pay. Don't ever forget that. So we need to, we need to deal with this. Now, I, I know it almost sounds like I'm, you say, preacher, you started off talking about the love of God, and now you're over here before you finish talking about hating sin. How do you bring those two together? Well, let, let me tell you how you bring those two together. The more you fall in love with God, the more it will help you to hate sin. Remember before you got married, you, you remember when you saw your spouse, you didn't know she was going to be your spouse. In fact, way back before then, before you ever dated her, you saw this girl and you say, hey, ah, there she is. But it didn't really concern you too much about who her friends were at that point. It didn't matter to you too much about what habits she may have had, bad habits or whatever. You didn't think too much about it. But then she caught your eye. And then you ask her for a date. And then somewhere along the way it happened and you realized that you loved her. And so you asked her to spend the rest of her life with you. And you married her. Now, you care a whole lot about who her friends are. You, you care about every aspect of her life. In, in fact, in fact, if you, if you want to get in trouble, you just, you just make, a, you make a bad remark to a man about his wife. Can, can you say amen, men? This is a good time to score some points here. Give me a strong one there. <laughs> amen. Yeah. You, you want to, because your love has grown to the point that, that you will protect her. You, you don't want somebody taking advantage of her. You don't, you don't even want family members taking advantage of her. You know, she's your wife. She's bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. You're married. You're one. And your love for her, as it increases, the more that love increases, the more, the more protective and more defense. And, and when God blesses you with children, my goodness, alive, you, you, you look at that little baby and, and all of a sudden your heart just, it just goes to a level of love, and, and you die for your offspring. At least in the first few years. Now, I know when you get to be, when they get to be teenagers, you may wish you to kill them, but but that'll pass. It'll come around. It, it eventually. Your kids will be just like you are, and like your wife is. Your wife opens her mouth, and her mother just spills right out. And your kids will be the same way someday. You'll hear them saying things that you said. But, but that what I'm saying is there is a love 
And the more you love, the more you protect, the more you don't want anything bad to happen. Listen, people that got one foot in the world and one foot in the church are not in love with Jesus like they need to be. Amen? They're just not in his word like they should be because the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you realize why Jesus came and died to do away with sin to wash away your sins, to, to deliver you from sin. Because the wages of sin is death. Sin will destroy you. And, and church, here's what we need to do. It's time for us to just face up and call it what it is. Quit making excuses. Quit saying, well, you just don't understand. It kind of runs in my family. It runs in your family nothing. It's sin. Get to Jesus. He wants to give you victory over that. As a disciple of Christ, we're supposed to be free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. You don't have to make excuses for it anymore. Get victory over it. Praise God. Walk in freedom. Christian people ought to be the the freest people in all the world. People ought to look at us and say, my goodness, I, I don't know what you got, but I'd like to have some of it. Praise God. That's what discipleship is about. And then we should be able to share with them what it is that we have that makes us different from the world. Why we can go through the storms of life and come out victorious. Why we can face death in the face. Why we can, can, can be like a brother George, look death right in the eye. And his family standing around saying, no, you're not, devil. You're not going to do it. Death, you can't have him. He'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Amen. Stand on the word of God. That's, that's who we are supposed to be to this world. Discipleship. Praise God. Glory. We. We need to, first of all, deal with sin in our own lives. Now, hear me carefully this morning. I said it's time for the church to stop making excuses and stop <clears throat> and, and, and just go ahead and face what we're dealing with and call it what it is so we can bring it to the cross and let the Lord deal with it and get, give us victory over it. Amen? We, we just need to do that. We need, we need to get victory over that. And then... When, when you deal with a sin in your own life and get that out of the way, then you can realize your position in Christ and you can begin to war in the spirit against the sin in your family and in your friends and, and your loved ones. And you can go after it. Praise God. It's time that the people of Christ realize who they are. And, and it's time that we defy the devil. It's time that we stand up and say, no, you're not devil. You're not having my child in Jesus' name. I don't care what, uh, what you've planned against my children. I, I plead the blood of Jesus against that. I'm seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I got on the whole armor of God, and I have a right according to the Scripture of God to make some demands. And I'm using the powerful, strong name of the Lord Jesus to call on a heavenly host. And devil, you might as well take your hands off. You're not going to have them. They belong to Jesus. Glory to God. I'm going to win them. Billy Sunday was a great, great evangelist. He was kind of the Billy Graham before Billy Graham was born. He was another generation before Billy Graham. Billy Sunday, he was a professional baseball player that God uh, got a hold of his heart and made him a great evangelist. He was a household word in his name, but he was a fireball of a preacher. 
And somebody asked him one day, said, Billy, what do you think about sin? And he said, I'm against sin. He said, I'll kick it as long as I got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I got a head. I'll bite it as long as I got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum him until I go home to glory and Satan is defeated and cast into hell. Glory to God. Now that's getting radical about sin. And folks, it's time we do that. It, it's time to get radical with sin. Sin is the problem that, that's, that, that we've got across our nation today. Listen, it's, it's, not, it's not a political thing that's trying to divide us. It's not, it's not just politics. It's just a tool that Satan's using. But, it, but what's dividing us today? What's trying to set race against race and culture against culture and, 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 and immigrants against uh, citizens and, and, and this party against that party? The bottom line, that's the works of the devil. And we're supposed to be different than that. Get off your Facebook and quit griping and complaining and come against the devil and declare the name of the Lord Jesus and, and be the love of God and hands extended for the glory of God. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love one another. It's not black and white. It's not race against race. It's not all of those are the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy it. We're all one in Jesus Christ. The ground is level at Calvary. You're my brother. You're my sister. I don't care where you come from, what your background is. And we're to demonstrate that as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and call it what it is. The great Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman had a member of his congregation come to him one day and he said, uh, Pastor, I'm concerned. He said, in your preaching, you, you're pretty hard about the sin thing. And he said, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to offend the younger generation. I, I wish you'd find a term that's more palatable than sin. Boy, you know, sin is an ugly word. It has the hiss of Satan and the sizz of hell. Sin's a horrible thing. <laughs> Old Dr. Chapman stepped out to the other room, came back in a few minutes with a bottle of strychnine. And he said, sir, you see this bottle of strychnine? He said, yeah. He said, it's got a red label on it. It's got crossbones on it. It's got the word poison in capital letters written across it. He said, would you like for me to go in the other room and take that red level, label off and put a white label on it and <laughs> label it wintergreen? Would that make it less deadly? And the man said, no, sir, actually it'd be more dangerous because then somebody might think it's wintergreen when it's really strychnine. And Dr. Chapman said, exactly. That's why we need to call sin, sin. That's why we need to just call it, just call it sin. Amen. We, we, 
we, we've, we've skirted around and tried to be politically correct and try to be psychologically uh, advanced in, in, in all of our dealings with everybody until we want to pat everybody on the back and, and, and tell them it's okay. It's just your disposition. It's just your background. It's just your culture. It's just your environment. It's just your heredity. No, it's sin. And the wages of sin is death. Get rid of sin and you'll have life. Get rid of sin, you'll have victory. Get rid of sin and you can be healed. Get rid of sin and you can live abundantly for the glory of God. Stand with me, please, all over the congregation. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. That's what Jesus came to do. Destroy the works of the devil. And as he is, so are we in the world. You ought to go after some works of the devil next week. Amen. You ought to just bring them down, destroy them. Praise God. You, you ought to recognize that your position is seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And from that position, you need to attack the thing that's been attacking you. Amen. That weakness that you've been dealing with. That besetting sin, you need to come against it with the authority of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and gain victory over it. Glory to God. If you need help, find a brother or sister in the Lord and get them to help you. But let's get the victory. Then you need to attack that sin uh, that, that, that's, that's been after your family. Come against that. Destroy those works of the devil. Amen. Take the word of God and come against the, the devil. Tell him to get his hands out of your finances. He's got no business in your finances. God did not intend for you to go into poverty. God did not intend for you to lose everything. God did not intend for you to, 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 to just mope through life barely making it. He came to give you abundant life. Tell the devil to get his hands off of your finances. You're blessed of God. You're the children of God. You're the seed of Abraham. Tell him to get his hands off of your health. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and he doesn't have any right there. Take his disease somewhere else. You're not going to have it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. The altar is open. I want the prayer team to come quickly. And I want you to come and pray. If you're unsaved, I invite you to come and give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from God, I invite you to come home today to the Lord. If you're sick in body, I invite you to come and let somebody agree with you in prayer. Lay hands on you and declare healing for your body. If you're struggling in your finances, do what I just mentioned. Come to the altar today. And tell Satan, you, I'm drawing a line in the sand this morning. I bless God on this Sunday morning in October when New Hope started rebuilding the wall of discipleship. I drew in the line in the sand, and I did exactly what Jesus would do to those demonic forces. I tell them, that, that's enough. Stop right there. You, you can't come any further. Not, not having it anymore. That's it. Stop it right there. Come against those things. I don't know what you need victory over, but deal with it. If you're struggling with sin, surrender it to Jesus so he can wash it away and set you free. And then you can move as part of the army of God. Free people can free people. Amen. You can help set your family free. 
But let's be honest with God. The altar's open. God bless you, whatever you may need. You, like I said, you may want to come this morning and just say, Lord, this morning I'm, I'm making a declaration. I'm going to be a better disciple of Jesus than I have before. I'm, I'm going to take my place of authority and I'm going to fight with vigilance against, I'm going to help destroy what you came to destroy for the glory of God in Jesus' name. God bless you. The altar's open. We're going to.